All right, episode 68 with Luis Green's about to start, and this episode is freaking awesome because Luis is the first coach I've had on this show that is a self-titled big fit trainer. So if you look her up, she does not look like a regular coach that, you know, is ripped to shreds or anything like that. Um, Her message is to, you know, promote every single body type out there and every single body is an athlete's body. So she does everything from triathlons to big cycling events and she's a very fit individual, but she is not, you know, super thin just like every other female coach out there. Um, And she's really trying to break the mold in our fitness industry and let's just get this thing started and you'll see why she's so awesome hey guys welcome back to another episode of cut the shit get fit i'm your host for foul matuszewski and joining me today is louise green say hello hi how are you good good uh so to get us started i always ask all my guests what do you got planned for the weekend Actually, we are doing our Ride to Conquer Cancer team wrap party this weekend. So we're having our whole whole team over uh, for a big barbecue and celebration and try to suck them into next year. <laughs> nice. um, and yeah, I'm, I, I honestly am launching a program on Monday, which um, I'm going to be working kind of burning the midnight oil a bit this weekend. I know how that is. Like stuff yeah. just piles up <laughs> and you're like, I might as well just get it done. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so for the audience, tell them who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? Um, so as you said, I'm Louise Green, and I, um, I have been running a program here in Vancouver for about 10 years called Body Exchange, which is a fitness boot camp um, dedicated to a bigger clientele. So we predominantly work with the plus-size woman. And... I basically got into this industry because I was volunteering as a Sunrun leader for many years. Uh, Simultaneously, I was working as a talent agent in the film industry here in Vancouver, managing a commercial roster. And I was constantly telling really beautiful people feedback from producers that they needed to be even more beautiful. So the standard was regardless of what they look like, it was never enough. And so on the weekends, I'm out volunteering with uh, running with these awesome individuals, people of all shapes and sizes and fitness abilities and feeling really great about it. And then on Monday morning, going into the office and giving that feedback to those really beautiful people. And it started to not reconcile with me anymore. It started to really not feel good. And when I had my son, I just decided that I really wanted to work on something that I'm passionate about, and that is helping people realize their athletic potential really at any size. And our like industry is kind of strange because, you know, you open a magazine and it's just one type of body type and then everybody always looks at it. They're like, okay, that's what I have to do to be healthy. But no, I was like talking to a couple of clients about this and I'm like, I think what really like healthy and fit is, is if you can make time to go to the gym every week and you eat, you know, somewhat healthy and you still enjoy life. Like that's a big win, at least what I think. I agree. I agree. So 
Yeah, I mean, I know one of the questions later in the interview is going to be to talk about the fitness industry. So maybe we'll talk about that when you prompt it. But I I do. I think that the idealism around what fit and healthy looks like needs to expand. Yeah, definitely. And like, I wanted to kind of get into coaching because I find this interesting because like for myself, I used to be overweight. And when I lost all my weight, that's when I kind of figured out like, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to help other people lose weight. And I feel like I have the advantage when comparing myself to another coach who, you know, played high level sports in college, almost made the pros in whatever baseball. And they're like, oh, I didn't make it. So I guess I'm going to become a trainer. And now they're dealing with, you know, not pro athletes because that's what every trainer thinks of when they become a trainer. Like, oh, I'm going to train professional athletes. But you end up, you know, working with the general population and you have this like really fit individual their entire life and they're trying to get, you know, Sally to lose 40 pounds and they get frustrated because they're not listening. But for me, I feel like I have the advantage because, you know, I've been through it. I know what they're going through. And I was wondering, like, how do you feel as a coach? And do you feel like you have an advantage coaching someone else compared to that really, really fit trainer example? Well, I really believe that there's a trainer for everyone and really, you know, I'm not going to be the right trainer for everyone, but I am the right trainer for many women who have lived this struggle of, you know, being in perpetual diet cycling and feeling like a failure every time they can't um, get a leg up on on these like quick fix gimmick type type ways of trying to lose weight. I really deeply understand their struggle and can kind of coach them beyond the physical training in that. Um, and that's not to say that those high level coaches who are training professional athletes can't also have an understanding because I've had some thin trainers work for me that, you know, surprisingly, I've been like, actually, they really get it. Like they also get it. So I think it depends on the individual, but I see what you're saying. Usually those, um, trainers that are working with high level athletes, they are used to a very rigorous, intense, um, disciplined way of life. Whereas for a lot of people, that's really difficult to achieve. And as I was wondering is like, cause I'm assuming you train mostly like general population. And I find, for me, when I train, you know, the everyday person, it's really hard for them to kind of make fitness a priority in their life. And you'll kind of have, you know, spurs of, you know, say two months where they're super consistent. And then there's one month where they're kind of off and on. So how do you deal with people, you know, struggling to make health their priority? And how do you kind of get them over that hump? Well, for many years, I struggled with their struggle. (laughs) So I would find myself frustrated and, um, you know, kind of in a position where I wanted it more than they did. And so I would, you know, try to do everything possible to get them to adhere or follow up and really focus a lot of energy on trying to get this person to realize that this was going to be, you know, was really going to enhance their life. And then as time went on as a trainer, I started to realize that it is our own individual responsibility to manage our health in the ways that we see fit. So I no longer give so much energy to get people to realize or try to, um, you know, adhere to certain, you know, these, these days and times every single week. Um, 
But what I do is I make a space that is safe and approachable and inviting and uh, what where they can achieve. Like I, I, I can modify any exercise that that people come to the table with. I have clients that are not able to get up and down off the ground, but yet they can still attend my boot camp and I'll make it work for them. So I offer the space and the environment and the encouragement, but they still have to be responsible for wanting it. Yeah, and I think um, how you described like making that space inviting and the big thing I've been talking this past year is kind of like building a solid community of clients and, you know, working in a group setting, having, you know, a client to your left of you and the right of you, and they're both kind of in it together. They feel a little bit more motivated and supported that they have someone else just like them trying to get to the same goal compared to like just training one on one with somebody. They might just be comparing themselves to the coach. Does that make sense? Yeah, I definitely think that a community based workout. I mean, there are definitely people that are lone exercisers and they are typically a tight personality, very self-motivated individuals. But I think for the general population, group fitness, when there's a social community element attached to it is going to be something that's way more sustainable. So do you train out of a gym or do you do like a boot camp outside? I actually run my boot camp at my home. So I have a space that's outside, but it's covered and lit. So I have like my punching bags and TRXs and all my weights there. I used to do it in community spaces, which meant that I was hauling all my equipment around the city. (laughs) Um, So again, as time's gone on, I've kind of catered my business to suit my needs a little better. So basically I roll out of my front door and there's my, that's where I work. Oh, that's super easy then. So you can sleep in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how big are your groups typically? Um, right now I am training probably like six to eight women in a group setting. And then I have personal training clients. Um, because I am starting to shift my business into an online model, I'm kind of servicing clients that have been there for a long time and not necessarily pounding the pavement to build up those in-person clients. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a lot of coaches kind of going in that direction now. Like they're trying to shift online because just more, I would say more freedom, but more flexibility to do, you know, other things because it doesn't take as much time. So I was wondering your opinion about the whole online space. Like how do you envision your business being online and how are you trying to like build it? So I'm um, just releasing a program called Big Fit Girl Unleashed. And basically it is about offering the same ethos of fitness training that I do in my boot camps, but just put bringing it into an online program where there's a lot of education behind it too, about how to change your mindset and, you know, get out of negative thinking and, and conquering fear. And it goes very in depth. Um, That said, you can create communities online in private Facebook groups where people can chat, but I don't think it's the same as an in-person setting. Um, But whenever I go to speak in different areas, um, in, you know, in different provinces or states in the United States, people are like, I, you know, I'm not able to find fitness that's approachable. I'm, you know, there may be like a woman in the audience that's 300 pounds. That's like, I, I feel very intimidated by gym culture. So I was facing that all the time when I was speaking to audiences and I was thinking, 
if I'm in an online model, I have the opportunity to really tap into an audience on a much grander scale. Yeah, you're right. Because like the hardest thing for someone who's, you know, overweight and wants to get moving for the first time in a long time, it's really, really difficult to open that front door of a gym and feel safe. But I know like for me at my gym, like the moment I get someone through the door and you take them through the whole gym, you introduce them to everybody. They're like, oh, this place is actually not that bad. And I think like the online community, it's almost like a shield, like they feel a little bit more protected because, you know, if something goes wrong, they just like close their laptop and it's gone. But yeah, um, yeah it's a different way to tap into a larger audience. And that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast is now I can reach more people than, mm-hmm. you know, just the clients that I see every single day. And that was my ultimate goal when I first started in this industry. I'm like, I want to help as many people as possible. What can I do? Mm-hmm. No, and I think that's a great way to go about it. Um, You know, people, people, and especially podcasting, it's very popular right now. Like, it seems like everyone is starting a podcast so that they can get their message and have guests on. And I mean, it's basically broadcasting, right? You can have your own broadcasting show. Yeah, like I was also thinking about like the future of podcasting and because there's so many and there's a lot of coaches that, you know, are say 10 years into their career and they might not have time. But if I was them, I would actually reach out to like every podcaster and just get your name out there. And it'd be the easiest way to, you know, broadcast yourself because now you don't have to produce it yourself, buy all these microphones and all these other things. But it's just easier. Like I think podcasting is going to catch on even bigger as like the next five years comes out because everything's kind of I think audio is going to be huge because you look at something like the um, Amazon Echo that little Mm -hmm. speaker and now you can like talk to Alexa and she can do everything for you so I think audio is going to be big in the future that's just me though no I agree and also people are like double doubling their time right like you don't just sit in the car silent people are like oh I've got like 20 minutes so I'm gonna like snafu that and listen to something like it's everyone's time is so tight that every single moment that we have the opportunity to double up on that time you know like whatever at the treadmill at the gym I'm going to listen to this podcast or I'm going to like you know it's just it, it I think it's a very powerful tool oh definitely um going to the next question I'm kind of curious about this is would you personally want to lose weight and if so why would you Um, there are times where I actually, I was, I was, I did a podcast interview yesterday and we talked about this exact thing where I will go into training mode. For example, like right now we finished the ride. So I'm going to go right into triathlon training for the next spring season. And during that process, people will come up to me and they'll be like, wow, you've lost weight. And my answer to that is no, I haven't. (laughs) I have not lost weight, but I look like I have. So I, my body does a lot of shifting, but it's usually within a five to 10 pound range of weighing the same. Sometimes when I'm doing 125 K on, on a bike and going up hills, like, yeah, I wish I was lighter right now. So there are those times where, for athletic performance, there, there are moments where it would be like, you know, this would be better if I were lighter, but it's not coming from a place of, I hate my body. You know, I don't want to be fat. You know, it's not, it's not any of that. It's more like there are moments 
where it, it would be better for performance. Yeah, and I think the big thing is if someone can accept their body for what it is, they're going to win long term. And I always tell my clients when they first start, it's like, don't have a weight loss goal, have a performance goal instead, because mm-hmm. it, it's just going to come with it, right? Like, if, yeah. I, I tell women, like, if you could do a body weight chin up, like, you need to be pretty strong to do that. And usually the weight will just come off as you get to that goal. So I don't even weigh in women. Like I do not believe in weighing people because it just doesn't tell you enough information. If anything, if they need metrics, I'm like, just do waist to hip like measurements or just find a pair of jeans that don't fit and see if you can fit in them in three months from now. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, especially for women, because we have become extremely weight focused and the scale can literally take the power to make your day great or make your day shit. Like it really has that much power. Um, because we're conditioned so deeply to look a certain way. Um, but I'm exactly like you, like I don't weigh people. Um, but do it by performance base. Like if you, if you are constantly training and like you say in in the beginning, eating somewhat healthy food, it's a byproduct of that. You you're, you're inevitably going to lose weight or inches. So it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Um, have you ever had to like face any kind of adversity when, you know, cause I've seen your Ted talk and by the way, that was amazing. Um, thank you. <laughs> has anyone like called you out? Like, that didn't really like your message? Like, have you ever faced any kind of like backlash for what you're promoting? I get backlash every single day. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, Every day. And you know what? Ironically, it's from, it's usually from fitness professionals. Yeah. See, like that, that means they're just like so narrow minded. Like you're opening another door to fitness that has never been there. Cause I've honestly, I've never heard of anybody else doing what you do. And I'm like, man, this is amazing. Like I need to talk to this woman. Right. But, um, yeah, like I just think those coaches probably just don't have the necessary tools to make other people successful if they're thinking that way. Well, I think that what it is, is, yeah, you're right. It's very narrow minded and it's very stringent in what we think is healthy and fit. So what people often attack me about is what you're promoting isn't healthy, but, what I'm promoting is I'm, I'm making fitness accessible to a group of people that otherwise have not been involved in fitness. So when it, I think what they're referring to the most is that I, I don't have a weight loss approach. So to them, that's, that's unhealthy. But like we just talked about, it's often a byproduct. The reason I don't have a weight loss approach is because I'm dealing with people that have been chronically dieting for decades for one and failing at it. And we know that statistically diets, if you're, if you're chronically in that cycle of diet culture over time, you actually get heavier because you're constantly losing and gaining, losing and gaining a bit more, losing and gaining a bit more. So these people are having a very unhealthy relationship with their body and food, uh, incrementally gaining more weight each year, not exercising, and I'm trying to turn that around and make a healthy relationship with exercise and uh, and eating as healthfully as they can. So I'm also dealing with emotional eating and binge eating disorder and all different kinds of things. So just trying to shift that 
thinking and and instill in people that you can be athletic and fit in this body. Just start now. Stop waiting on the weight. To me, that's a very much a health message, but to many uh, individuals and many fitness professionals, they're they're saying it's enabling. It's it's. Uh, it's it's unhealthy. It's and and furthermore, how the hell would I know what I'm talking about at my size? Like you know, discrediting me because of what I look like. Like I I can I can see where they're trying to get at, but that's one extreme, right? Like you're trying to promote just like love your body for what it is. But I know what they're trying to get at because a lot of people, if they see that message, they might be severely over uh, like overweight and obese and like they're like a ticking time bomb for a heart attack. And if they see that message, they might take it as, you know, Oh, I'm okay at this weight. I'm fine. But you know, their health metrics are like off the charts and you're like, come on, you should do something. But then that's one extreme to another. So really you just have to find the, you know, the fine line in the middle. Yeah. I think what I'm doing to some individuals is misunderstood um, because I'm not saying that, if you're a ticking time bomb and, you know, have no mobility and your weight is impeding your life in every which way, that that's okay. Because you can't be living your best life. Yeah. Like, if you look in pro sports, there's some large, like, athletes that move and probably run faster than me. Like, you look in the NFL, they're like the linemen. I'm pretty sure they run faster than me. And they, like, they weigh close to 300 pounds. Like, that's... That's a solid weight. Yeah. The the difference is when you have a 300-pound woman, it's not okay. And there's yeah. a, there's a, there's a very much a difference between being a 300-pound male athlete and a 300-pound female athlete. Yeah, like I think it was what Sports Illustrated, they started doing those uh, photo shoots of all different athletes' body types. Mm-hmm. And like I like I can't believe that a lot of people even said yes to that cuz that's a very like vulnerable thing to do. And I think each year it gets better and better. And there was a lot of women there that, you know, played different sports that were, you know, not the swimsuit model. And they're just Mm. a little bit bigger than the swimsuit model. And like, it's just amazing that that it's kind of going in that direction. Do you you feel like the industry is going in the right direction for that kind of stuff or still kind of slow and lagging? Um, I do definitely think that it is shifting slightly. Like I'm now writing for self magazine, a plus size specific column. So major, um, publications that are typically geared towards women's health are starting to recognize that they need this content in order to hold on to their readership. I mean, especially in the United States, 67% of women are oversized 14. So the fitness industry as far as imagery and messaging has this discounting the majority of women in the United States. Um, so they still seem to be very much the token girl. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, women's running magazine just put Verna Valerio on the cover. She's the plus size ultra marathoner. Um, but yet the other 11 issues are the typical runner. So we are seeing larger bodies infiltrating into all areas of the fitness industry and media, but it's still very much the token girl. Well, what is your like opinion with like, I want to structure it this way. Like we kind of touched on it a little bit, but 
what are some things that just like drive you nuts in the fitness industry that you just want to change? Well, we talked about that as, as far as the, you know, fairly narrow mindedness of, of, of a lot of trainers. Now I have, I have a lot of trainer friends that are very open-minded and it sounds like you're very open-minded. Like it's like, there are great open-minded trainers out there. So I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on all the trainers in the, in the industry. Cause that's just not so, but I have to say that the most hateful emails and messaging I get are from trainers. Um, so there's that aspect where I feel like we could all expand our minds a little bit on, on what health and fitness can look like. And then what really drives me crazy is the lack of representation in fitness, media, and advertising. So what we're showing people, so for example, if you were to buy a minivan, you are going to see a young family driving happily down the road in their minivan. Um, but if you're going to see fitness advertising, you're going to see typically a 20-year-old Caucasian woman with ripped abs, which doesn't speak to a 50-year-old mother of four boys who is 230 pounds. So there's a major gap and divide in how we're attracting people into the fitness industry to gain better health. So the fitness industry in and of, of itself through its marketing and media message is creating a barrier. Yeah, I think there's like just like a standard for every, you know, magazine, movie, TV show, and you don't see other people at all and I think Hollywood is starting to change because like I was reading a story um if you ever watched the movie Deadpool the uh bad guy who played Francis in the um movie he got offered another superhero role but the role was <clears throat> actually uh I think it's a Spanish orientated character and this guy's from England and he actually turned it down saying that I, I can't play a Spanish guy like I'm a white dude <laughs> and and then the whole like internet like exploded saying like oh my god this is like the first time like an actor spoke out on this and it needs to shift like like another show that i really like on netflix right now is narcos and mm -hmm. if you watch it like i would say 95 percent of it is all in spanish it's all in subtitles all the actors are spanish descent and i'm like it's starting to shift it's going in the right direction it's just at a slow slow rate <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, I was going to get into nutrition because I'm kind of curious how you coach nutrition, if you do at all. I don't because it's kind of out of my scope of practice, but I do try to work with women with their relationship with food. So again, I'm not an expert in psychology or counseling, but um, when I got your list of questions, I saw that we would be discussing the topic of nutrition and Really, for a lot of the women that I work with, um, we talk about eating as healthfully as possible, nutritionally dense food. In my book, I wrote a chapter on nutrition um, and had some other experts weigh in on that, um, where it's, you know, really about reducing sugar and um, eating as healthfully as you can for performance. But with the clientele I work with, it's really about uh, backing the truck up quite a bit because you were talking about macros and 
that type of nutrition. It's it's we're, we're just backing the truck up quite a bit more to the point of how can I just eat, have a better relationship with food? How how do I not binge eat? How do I not emotionally eat? Yeah, like I'm I'm the same way. Like you got to go back to basics because. I think the stat is that for an average person, they've done at least seven to nine crash diets before they even see you. So it's like just teaching the people like you need to eat to fuel your body. You don't need to, you know, restrict everything and have a list of 30 foods you're not allowed to eat because that's going to drive you crazy. Just make sure you're eating enough to support your activity. You know, have some vegetables, have some lean protein, maybe some fruit. Who knows? Right. It's not like rocket science. I think that's just it. What you just said there too is, um, I think that we can very overcomplicate the food and, you know, it is so loaded for many people I work with, including myself, like it's a very loaded topic and, um, we, we tend to overcomplicate food is really just for giving us energy. Right. And, and if we can look at from that position, where I wrote in my book, like if you're, if you're, you know, I, I try to be as, as little diety as possible in my book. Cause I don't want to be another diet book, but if you overeat, you're going to be tired, right? You're not going to want to go for that run. If you eat a lot of sugar during the day, when it comes to your time for your workout, you're probably not going to have the energy to do it. So looking at, looking at food from that position of, is this going to make me feel energized? Is it going to give me the get up and go that I need to achieve the goals that I have set out for myself? Yeah, and I think the big thing too is like we kind of touched on it, but the relationship with food is huge. That's what I mostly focus with people because some people can get so obsessed with food where it just runs their life. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious, like, how do you help someone with like emotional eating patterns or binge eating behaviors? Like, how do you help someone overcome that if they can? So when we're talking about like binge eating, usually I will have a referral list to somebody that's better equipped to kind of deal with it. But um, emotional eating is just for me <clears throat> looking at uh why, why you're eating, like, like, what are you hungry for, really? So often for people, that's loneliness or anxiety, right? So to really look at, you know, if somebody says, oh, I totally like ate so much stuff last night. And a lot of times I hear that people are eating late at night when they're sitting alone. And uh, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to loneliness and and anxiety. Like I know when I get stressed, I can, I can really like, I can be eating without even noticing, do you know that that mindless eating because it's, it's a a oral fixation to soothe anxiety. So if people can really look at, you know, when, when they say, and uh, another thing that's really good to do is journal, but not like in the journaling sense that we have known through Weight Watchers and things where like, you know, three quarters of a cup of this and, <laughs> you know, like th- three quarters of a tablespoon, like just right down to every single freaking measurement out there, but rather just, oh, this is what I ate today. And, you know, not just journaling what you ate, but how you felt. And then really you can start to identify those emotions to the food, right? Yeah, like I tell clients just like the first step 
is like being self-aware like what happened in that situation when you emotionally ate or binge ate like what what was happening at that time what were you thinking and how did you feel after and the more you can be self-aware you can kind of start learning new things like i i find for like binge behaviors it's almost like it's a routine like you're almost planning it sometimes with some people mm-hmm. and it, it's a sensitive topic because it's not like oh do these three things and you're going to be good it's it's practice right you have to almost get out of the habit and it's really hard to break that habit yeah, especially when you're having an emotional response to something that could be very deep-rooted right into your childhood. Like for some people, it could be 30 years of this is how I respond to X. Um, <clears throat> so it is, it's really undoing behaviors and really, but I mean, as a, as a coach, if you are getting people to look at their self-awareness. I think that that is a big thing that the diet, that the diet industry for sure is doing, but also the fitness industry is they're not looking at the why they're looking at the what. So they're looking at, Oh, you're eating this. You're like, you're eating this. You're like, when you're looking at what people are eating and trying to address that, you're just skimming the surface of what's really happening deep down. You got to drill down into what's going on for people. Yeah, that's huge. It's like figuring out what caused the behavior. And I feel like majority of the time, it's like with someone who's emotional eating, they're stressed out from something and it's usually work. And then you start asking them all the right questions like, well, what happened at work today? And then they'll tell you like, oh, I've been working like 70 hour weeks because I have this big project and all I need to do is when I come home, I just feel like having a whole bottle of wine and chips. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, it's the work. It's not like it's hard to one tell your client like maybe you should kind of tone it down from work but most of those people that have that work issue kind of have the characteristic of not you know they can't say no to things so they keep piling things onto their schedule and then they get get to a point where like holy crap like I have no time for myself Mm -hmm. and then they're just miserable for like weeks to months until their project or whatever work thing they said yes to is over yeah, I I can relate to that behavior myself, um, and that's something that I've really had to take a look at. Is especially when you're really passionate about your work, you can really like load it on, and then all of a sudden your own self care is out the window. So it's something my own self care is something I have to be extremely mindful of all the time because I will fill my schedule up, and um, that's one of the components that I put into my program is boundary setting. I think often, um, especially when you're coming from a position of low self-care and lack of ability to set boundaries, we're looking at somebody that has low self-esteem. Because if you have the ability to um, give yourself the self-care that you deserve and you are assertive enough to put the boundaries in place to make that happen, that's somebody with a healthy esteem. So it's really digging down into why are we not able to say to people that you can't do that? I mean, I've had so many people in my classes say, I I have to work late, my boss. Like, wouldn't you as a boss be a-okay if one of your employees came to you and said two times a week, I'm going to, I have to leave on time, not early. I'm leaving on time to look after my health. I would commend that as a boss. I'd be like, right on. Cause healthy, happy employees are more productive. Product- 
what's the word productive Productive. yeah productive there you go yeah (laughs) i'm the same way like i catch myself like talking and i get really passionate and then i start like blurbing out (laughs) random words and i'm like what did i just say (laughs) i just made that up (laughs) yeah um but yeah you're 100 right and um actually a good book i read recently it's called essentialism and like the big message of that whole book is learning how to say no and the biggest like thing they said in the book is that a lot of people say yes because they feel bad that they're letting someone down but those people will actually respect you to say no knowing that you have a lot of stuff going on in your life Mm -hmm. and not only that but when you say yes because you feel bad about letting someone down in turn you're letting your own self down so what I was doing is I was um I was like, yes, 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 yes. And really I was doing it because I felt so passionate about wanting to be involved in all these different things. And then being behind the scenes, being like so overwhelmed and and not able to get my workouts done. And then I'm bitchy and, you know, so much chaos happening behind that. And, and realizing in turn by saying yes to everything, I'm, I'm saying no to me. Yeah, definitely. And I find, I don't know, like, because I would say 90% of my clientele are all women and comparing them to the men that I train, I find that women fall victim to saying yes to more things where guys will just be like, no, I'm not doing that. I just think it's like the nurturing part of a woman where she wants to help everyone, but then Mm -hmm. she tends to forget about herself. And I always try to tell all my female clients, like you're number one in your life. Like you got to make yourself a priority so then you can help others. Absolutely. And the other thing somebody told me once is when somebody asks you to do things, if your natural response is to say yes, to shift that into, um, let me just check my calendar and I'll get back to you. So it gives you that break in space to actually have a moment to think about, do I really want to do that? Is that going to work for me? And then you can get back to them and say, actually, I checked my calendar and it's not the right time. Why don't you check back with me later or whatever? And that was funny, like that you brought that up because it's the same thing in essentialism. If it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, I love that. What was I gonna get into? Right, um, I'm kind of curious. Like, what's your diet look like? Like, what do you like to eat? How do you structure your meals? Like, well, I like I said, I have had some times where my own life has been pretty chaotic, especially with launching my book this year, where I will admittedly say that my own self-care wasn't optimal. Um, I was traveling tons, so eating in hotel rooms and things like that. But when I'm at home and I'm like in the zone, like I'm, I I love to have protein smoothies, um, but like I eat all different kinds of foods. So like last night I had sushi, this morning I had eggs, you know, vegetables, fruits, I've always loved as a kid. So that has never been an issue for me. Um, you know, we have pizza nights, like it's a balance of, uh, you know, eating everything really. But uh, I think that's good that you, you know, tell that to your audience because I find that coaches that show their vulnerability more, they just get more of those clients that you want to attract because they're like, oh, this, my coach is exactly like me. They're not this perfect human being. Because I think a lot of clients look at their coaches as these people that figured everything out, but we still deal with our own struggles all day, every day and every single year. So it's nice to see coaches now picking that 
thing up where it's like, oh, if I post something where I'm actually vulnerable or struggled with something, I'll get a better response than a perfect, you know, selfie on Instagram with a great filter. Yeah, exactly. And I will never be the person that's going to say that I have the food thing completely figured out. But every single day I strive to be as helpful as possible. I'm also role modeling for a nine-year-old boy. So I want to... um, you know, instill those healthy practices of living an active, healthy lifestyle to him. So, you know, you got to be careful and not, not only when your son is watching you, but you are a role model to many people. So I'm also curious, what's uh, kind of like your morning ritual? Like, what do you do in the first hour to two hours of your day? So I usually wake up at six and my son usually wakes up at around 7.30. So I sit usually for about an hour and drink a cup of coffee in total silence. And we'll start to like work a little bit on my social media in the morning. And then I get up and start to get him ready to go to school. So I like have an hour of complete silence and then I'll slowly start to ease into work a little bit. Nice. So how are you trying to get um, your son to realize that you know, fitness and health should be a priority. Cause I think right now is a kind of an interesting time to, um, have kids. And now, you know, like health is blasted everywhere compared to what it was like 20 years ago. And it's kind of hard to, you know, pick out the right things to kind of teach your kids. So I was kind of curious, like, how are you teaching your son that, you know, when you grow up, you should make health a priority. Well, one thing that I try to discuss with him on a regular basis is, <clears throat> is um, like just ba- the basics of nutrition, right? Like I, nobody taught me that when I was a kid. Like we just ate what was put in front of us. So, you know, like when he he inevitably wants to eat like sugar and candy and because it, it's in their face all day long, right? So I, you know, have to explain to him why that's okay once in a while, but these are the reasons why. So really kind of give him some education around that, but also him seeing us really active. Like every year, my husband and I do the ride to conquer cancer. He's part of our fundraising team. He's always at the finish line waiting for us. Um, he's at the finish line of triathlons and he, he gets to see both his parents. My husband plays hockey. He coach my husband coaches all his teams. So we're very actively involved in showing him and also being a part of his fitness journey. Has he ever like said like, mom, I want to do a triathlon with you one day or anything like that? Yeah, he has. So I took him to Ironman this year in Whistler and I was spectating it. A couple of my friends were doing it. And after that, he was like, I, I want to do triathlons with you. Um, he's kind of a kid that isn't super like, you know, I see, I see a lot of the boys on the playground that are like hardcore into sports and that's not my son. Like he's, he's kind of into it, but he's, you know, even with all the things that we put in front of him all the time, like he hasn't shown us that he's a, you know, super into athleticism. Uh, so he hasn't quite started training for the triathlon, but he has expressed interest in doing it. But I think that's a huge win for a parent is the moment, you know, your kid comes up to you and says, I want to do this comparing to it, like, I'm signing you up for this sport and you need to do it. And um, like I have um, a client, she she does triathlons and grand fondos and everything. And her kids are 
fairly young, I think, yeah, between the ages of like seven and 12. And her two oldest are finally saying like, hey, I want to do a Grand Fondo with you. Would you buy me a bike? And ever since they said that, they bought him a bike and now they go cycling together all the time because they've always seen all the years, you know, mom's always cycling on the weekends or doing fondos or doing, you know, swim meets and things like that. And that they finally pick it up. So I think for kids, like if they see their parents doing it, eventually they want to do it too, because, you know, mom and dad are heroes to them. Yeah, he's he definitely wants to join our Ride to Conquer Cancer team when he's 16. Um, so he's, you know, tries to be involved as much as he can. Um, but I, I think it's really important to role model that. Like I said, even if your child isn't especially athletic, they, you know, still can live an active lifestyle and and benefit from seeing their parents doing that. Definitely. Um, so the one thing I almost forgot to touch on is your take on body image because training women can be really, really tough when it comes to their bodies. And this example I give all the time is I have this one woman I train. She's turning 50 and she's just like an amazing athlete. Like she can do six body weight chin-ups, no problem. She looks amazing. But because she's had a history of doing bodybuilding shows, she still thinks she's fat. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you're like, you're amazing. Like, mm-hmm. she, in her mind, she just wants to look like what she did when she was in show season. But we all know that you can't look like that all year round. So how do you help women kind of, you know, get out of the mindset of like, oh, my ankles are too fat. Oh, this thing is too big. I don't want this on my body anymore. Like, <clears throat> how do you help someone overcome that? I think honestly that I walk the walk of like showing them in my own life that I'm not going to be dictated to of uh, trying to achieve this idealism that's put before us that's, you know, pretty much photoshopped perfection, which so many women are trying to achieve, which is so rare uh, for what we see in the media, like it's, it's almost impossible to look at, look like that. So I think if you can role model the acceptance of your own body and, and focus on the amazing things that your body can do over what it looks like, then, I mean, I think for me, that was a real shift as I had this coach that never mentioned aesthetics ever, not once, not even, oh, if you do this, this is how many calories you're going to burn. It was never like that. It was like all about building you up as an athlete. But when somebody's been in those bikini shows and bodybuilding kind of environment, I mean, that's really hard to kind of transition that thinking out of your brain completely. That I think that's going to take years of, you know, focusing on your physical power really is what it comes down to. And I think that's when it gets tapped into like, you should probably see like a psychologist because I find like being a coach, like things pop up in front of you that, you know, you're not qualified to actually like Mm -hmm. say anything, but it always happens. And you're like, man, I wish I was like a doctor of some sort to fix everything about you. But it's tough. Like we have to play so many roles and put on so many different hats to, you know, help people. Yeah. And I've always kind of made a circle of alliances with people that are 
you know, that have the same um, kind of vibe in their business as I, as I have. So I definitely have counselors that I would refer out to, or, you know, if somebody's like, you know, often I'll, I'll have people say, I, I need to see a nutritionist or a dietitian because of A, B, and C. And often I'll say, you know what, I think you should see a counselor <laughs> because it's not, it's not really that you don't know what to eat. That's not the problem here. So how does that conversation go? Like if you are training a client and you know that the best thing for them is to go see a counselor and talk about their issues, like how do you approach a client without having them feel offended or like, oh, I can't believe you would say that about me? Like, because I, I think that's kind of a, a tough talk because I haven't had any like experience or even the situation where I'm like, you should go see a counselor. <laughs> yeah, I often um, don't put it on them. I'll just say something like, Hey, you know what? I struggled with something similar and I went, I went and saw a counselor. Have you ever thought of that? Okay. Um, so that it was more about me sharing my experience and that it helped me rather than pointing the finger. You need to go to see a counselor (laughs) because it can be, it can be really, really touchy, especially like to me, counseling is so, like there's no baggage attached to it, but it depends on your generation, right? Like some people will think, are you calling me a quack? Are you calling me a nutter? <laughs> like, you know, they, they don't understand that counseling is actually, you know, very uh, progressive and, and very liberating for many people. And it doesn't mean that you're nuts. You know, like I, I would lo- that's still one of the things on my list I want to do is go see a psychologist. Cause it's something I've never tried, you know, like I've seen a naturopath, chiro, physio, like all these other different professionals, but nothing to do with your mind and behavior and everything like that. But my only fear is like, what if they say something that opens up a whole nother can of worms and you actually feel worse than you actually came in? But that's just me. I think that people like, like I've been involved in counseling, but it's been very short term. So it's like, I'm struggling with an issue, go and talk to a professional, kind of work through it. And then it's done. Um, like, I think if you were interested in having somebody that you could refer to your clients to, it'd be awesome to have just a session just to see what they're like and what it's all about. Um, and I often say to people like counseling sometimes, like especially marital counseling, counseling, um, which is probably a whole other podcast, but uh, <laughs> is is just keeping the lines of communication open. You don't necessarily have to be like in like, you know, marital peril to see counselors. It's almost like preventative measures to just stay healthy in the mind. We go to see trainers to stay healthy in the body, but we don't do a lot to stay healthy in the mind. And we're living in extremely stressful, um, pressured times right now. And we're not doing a lot of mental fitness. Yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And I, I think anyone listening that, you know, is contemplating, they should seek out help because you never know like it could be like a game changer for your life Mm -hmm. and you know if it doesn't work it doesn't work it's you know no harm no foul but uh it's definitely something people should try at least well in particular about the you know the one example that you game gave about um the one woman where if she could work through those issues and and have liberation from from poor body image like how life-changing would that be 
Like every time you're having poor body image, those thoughts are running through your mind on a daily basis. And that's taking up space for things that could really matter in your life, right? Yeah, big time. Um, so very last question, because we're coming up to an hour already. Um, where can people find you online? What projects do you have coming out, speaking engagements or anything you can just plug away? Um, I am working on my online program, Big Fit Girl Unleashed, which will we're doing starting our pilot on September 18th. And in October, I'm not, I don't have a specific date yet, but I'd say mid-October, we're going to be launching it to the general public. And it's a six-week online program to kind of tap into your athleticism at any size. Um, I'm also working on a fitness app, which is uh, called Big Fit Girl, which is a weight-neutral fitness app, which will never ask you about your weight or your BMI. It's all about athletic performance and joining different uh, fitness challenges. And I can be found online at Louise Green Big Fit Girl on Instagram. Uh, Same thing on Facebook and at Big Fit Girl on Twitter and louisegreen.ca is my website. And I do have a couple of speaking engagements. I have, uh, I'm going to be at the Word Literary Festival in Vancouver on September 24th. And then also at the Vancouver Public Library, we're doing a panel on body positivity. I think it's October 9th, uh, which should be on their website. I'm pretty sure it's the 9th. So, yeah, we're, I'm doing a panel with um, three other women on body positivity. Awesome. That sounds amazing. So I just wanted to thank you so much for your time. Everything you said was just like pure gold and just just plain awesome. Thank you for having me. It was great talking to you. I think we're very uh, like-minded. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode 68 with Louise Green. Hopefully you enjoyed it as she is just plain awesome and is honestly opening a huge, huge door for a lot more people to come into the health and fitness industry and people just in general to feel better about themselves and know that every single body is worth it, has self-worth, and can do anything. You don't have to be a thin, small, little individual to do something athletic. 